Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Talking about God being the same and not failing us, so that is leading us into our message today. Uh, we are going to be looking in the book of John 21 in a very popular passage, and this is entitled, Jesus Never Fails Us Even When We Fail Him. I don't preach this as somebody who has never failed God. I preach this as somebody that I know what I'm talking about because I've failed Him constantly. But Jesus has never failed me, and Jesus has never failed you. You see, if you've ever felt like you have failed Jesus, then you're in good company here today. All of us, at some point, have let Jesus down. Satan uses those moments to shame us, to make us think that we are unworthy of God's love. And at times, we may feel like our relationship is strained or broken with Jesus. But in today's message, I hope that you are encouraged, just as I am, to know that Jesus never fails you. Jesus never fails me, even when we fail Him. So let's just jump right into the Scriptures today. We're going to be in John 21, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. Here we're reading this, it says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm gone fishing, to which some of you would say, Amen. He says, well, the disciples say, well, we'll come too. They all said. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Boy, we could do probably a sermon just on those three verses, but uh, there's no way I could teach you everything this morning. But for the purpose of what our topic is, I think we are right on track. You see, Jesus is certain of who he is and what his purpose is. But at that moment, the disciples, they had basically gone through one of the most stressful things of their life. They had based their, they had left their jobs. They had left, they, they had left everything to go on a three year world tour to go support this man named Jesus in hopes of, of re, revitalizing the Jewish leadership, the Jewish government, the Jewish people. And then it ended with Jesus being crucified on a cross. They were devastated. Everything that they were certain of was taken away. Have you ever been at that moment where you thought that job was going to be the job you retired to? And all of a sudden, they come and tell you, hey, we're making some changes and you're part of them. Have you thought this relationship would never break? And all of a sudden you say, how did I get here? Or have you done something even in your own life and you say, well, God, I never thought I would be in this place. That's where the disciples were at in this passage. But Jesus, no matter how uncertain you are of your circumstances, no matter how uncertain you are of things that are happening to you or other people or what's happening in the world as you watch your your news feeds and you watch what's on TV and you think, how in the world is the Lord going to tarry much longer? What we see here is Jesus is certain of who he is and what his purpose is. He appeared to the disciples again at the Sea of Galilee and it says later... Or in some translations say afterwards, which indicates that this is probably the third appearance, the third time that Jesus sees the disciples after his resurrection. And he uses the words that he appeared and that it happened, indicate that John is recounting another moment where Jesus 
reveals his true deity to the disciples. And we even see that some of the disciples are not named. I'll give you a big um, seminary definition or explanation on why they're not named. I don't know. You're impressed, aren't you? I mean, really, we don't know because it's not written, but whoever needed to be printed here is here. And so what we see here is that likely, as we look at, we're going to be looking at how Jesus restores Peter. It is likely that in the other appearances, at some point, Peter and Jesus had that awkward discussion that nobody wanted to have. You know, where he said, I'll never betray you, Jesus, but yet he did three times. Somewhere in the private, Jesus, we don't know this because it's not recorded, but, but you would think in those number of times that at some point, something was said. And if not, that's fine because it doesn't change the outcome of what we're talking about today in Scripture. But the disciples were uncertain of their future after their death. And in times of failure, don't we often go back to what we know for better or for worse? What did Peter say? I'm going fishing. Can you imagine him going fishing with all of his, his disciple buddies? And they, it says that they got into not a boat, but the boat. So if you want to take it a little further, it's very likely that they pulled the, the tarp off of the boat that they used three years a year earlier. And they got their commercial boat ready and they went out and fished. I'm sure that the nets needed to be repaired. I'm sure things needed to be plumbed back up. Those of you that, that fish a lot and, and uh, know about boats, you know that uh, if you buy a boat, they call it a money hole because you're going to sink all your money into that thing because it takes so much to keep it going. But anyway, they went back into the boat. And after so many disappointments of not seeing their worldly rule, and Jesus is ending with death, they were kind of struggling. And I am sure that the guilt and the pressure from the devil was all they could take. Don't you know that the devil was riding them hard about how they, you know, devoted their lives to this man for three years and then look at what happened? Some of you in your faith, you've questioned your faith. You've questioned your salvation. If you've ever questioned your salvation, I want to tell you, it's okay that you question it. I've questioned my salvation, and there's still days where I'm wondering, what's the deal with this? Satan loves to put that doubt in our minds. And so I'm sure that he was running ragged with these disciples. But Peter led the disciples in the midst of their uncertainty. So those of you that are in the business world and you're into leadership practices, this is leadership 101. Peter was one of the most outspoken uh, disciples, and usually what he said kind of set the mood for everybody else. So he said after this, they're in Galilee, and he said, I'm going fishing. So everybody followed him. Peter was a leader because people followed him, regardless of what they had been through. Again, with leadership, if you had gone through what the disciples went through, most of the time, whether it be these band of men that were disciples or in any organization, if something traumatic happens like that, one of two things will happen. They will either gather together and become stronger, or they will disperse and never see each other again. They were together. And for the longest time as I I taught this passage and read this passage, 
It was almost like I would look at them and say, oh, poor disciples. You know, they're they're really struggling with their guilt. Everything that they wanted just kind of fell apart. But then I realized something in my study of even this message here. Did you know that even by them going to Galilee, they were not tucking their tails and running. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. Huh? Absolutely. In Matthew 28, 7, it said, Jesus tells them, and now go quickly to and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. It says in Matthew 28.10, it says, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So I want you to see that the disciples were in Galilee, and they weren't commiserating and hiding. They were going to where Jesus told them to go. So in the middle of the uncertainty, when you're in a situation that you don't understand, but God is, or Jesus has told you to go there anyway, if He's told you to be there, He's going to meet you there. And that's what we see. With these disciples. Like most of the people that fish, they probably found it relaxing. Don't you think after three years of being under that intense scrutiny and all of that stuff they went through, that it kind of just felt good to be back on the boat again? Don't you know that, man, now guys, this, this is life. This is, this is what we were supposed to be doing before all of this happened. And so they get in that boat and they're out on the water and they're casting the nets. Man, life is good. But if you've ever fished and never caught anything, you know how frustrating that is. They were not only recreational fishermen, they were professional fishermen. And when a professional fisherman doesn't find fish, that is a blow to their ego. That is a blow to their pocketbook. That is a blow to who they are as a person. So I'm just saying that to say they were frustrated. They try to go back to the one thing that they knew. And it's not fulfilling them like it used to. I have known people in their faith that when they have a struggle spiritually or physically, instead of going to Jesus and trying to get their strength from Him, they go back to the habit they used to do. They go back to the toxic relationships they used to have. They go back to the old ways and they don't satisfy them and fill them anymore because Jesus has said, I've come to fill you, not those things you used to do. Well, unfortunately, Peter was in more for, in, in for more disappointment because there were no fish. Notice it says, but they caught nothing all night. So that leads us to our next section of verses. Verses 4 through 14, where Jesus places you in frustrating situations that are beyond your control. Jesus places you in frustrating situations that are beyond your control. Why does he do that? Let me give you the back half of that. In order for you to see, you need Jesus. In order for you to see, you need Jesus. If you are banging your head on the wall against the situation and you haven't taken it to God, that is why you're banging your head on the wall. He puts us in situations where we need Him. It says in verse 4, At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who He was. And He called out, Fellows, or some translations say children, Fellows, have you caught any fish? 
Which they did not want to answer that. I'm sure it wasn't, no sir. I'm sure it was a gruff, disappointing no. Then he said, well, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. What do we learn from that? Folks, be open to input from others when you're frustrated. There may be somebody that's not in the boat with you can see things you can't see. Or better yet, why don't you, even though you may not understand that Jesus is working at the time, read His Word and trust Him and know He knows where the fish is. Fish are. Excuse me for my English there. Verse 7 says, But the disciples... <laughs> I love John does this a lot in his writing. He says, Then... The disciple that Jesus loved, he's talking about himself, that's John. He said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. Yes, I don't understand why, but I guess since they wore those tunics and those long robes and stuff back in that day, you wouldn't want all of that hanging off of you if you're throwing nets because it could kink up in it and you could end up on the side of the boat or in the water. But he put his clothes on, and then he headed to the shore. And it also says he jumped into the water. That's not the first time he's done that, is it? Didn't he run out to Jesus on the water when the boat was in the storm? So here we see Peter again. He's leaping before he thinks. And that's not a bad thing. The other stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. And they were only about a hundred yards or like a third of a football field away from the shore. Then they got there and they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal and some bread. So what I want you to see here, and this is kind of like a techie kind of thing, but Jesus used sight and sounds to remind Peter of his betrayal. It says that they were there, he was there by a charcoal fire. With fish, right? Did you know the only other time that the word charcoal appears in the book of John is when Peter is sitting around the charcoal fire denying Jesus three times? So as he smells that charcoal burning, cooking that fish, he may have very well gone back to that time where he smelled the charcoal and where he denied Jesus three times. You can't tell me that there are smells that the brain uses to categorize and file things in our brain. There's a certain type of shrub. I don't know what it is, but when I smell it, I think of my grandmother because that's the kind of shrub she had at her houses. When I smell certain foods, when I smell certain things that are good, I think good things. When I smell things that are bad, I remember bad things. When I hear things, he was... Jesus was cooking fish and bread for them by the shore. When's the last time they remember getting bread and fish from Jesus at the feeding of the 5,000? There's so much symbolism here. It's kind of like he's reminding them, hey guys, remember what we have gone through. And I know what you have done for good or for bad. But this was not to make Peter feel guilty. Jesus was setting up Peter to restore him. For the conversation that follows in the next few verses. As a matter of fact, did you know that this meal that Jesus is fixing for Peter had such an impact on him that he uses it and mentions it in his preaching 
in Acts 10.41? He talks about this life moment right here. It says in verse 10, Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish. Why do you have 153 large fish listed there? Do you ever know any fisherman who catches a lot of fish is not going to number them and tell you how big they are? Evidently they were big because they couldn't pull the net in. He says, now come and have some breakfast. Jesus said, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. (laughs) So they knew at that moment that it was him, but they didn't want to say anything. You know, the awkward elephant in the room. That's what's happening here. Uh, what do we say? How, how, how do we approach this? We, we ran. We scattered. How, what do you say to somebody that you, you turned your back on? What do you say to somebody that you denied three times? Verse 13 says, Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Folks, there is so much hope found in verses 12 through 14. What does it tell you? Those men brought them their fish. If you bring Jesus whatever resources you have, He will use it to nourish you. If you bring Jesus the resources that you have, your money, your time, your talents, your willingness, if you bring that to Jesus, He will use that back to bless you and others. Both Peter and Thomas are likely in tears for remembering their denial and doubt by that warm fire. And also, just we get a glimpse of heaven, you know, for those of you that think that heaven is, we're going to have wings like angels and hop from cloud to cloud and have a long church service, that ain't heaven. Even I wouldn't want to have church eternally. But we're going to be with God, we're going to be with Jesus. And we see here that Jesus' resurrected body, they could touch His body. He could eat food. He could cook a meal for them. That's encouraging to know that there is life eternally beyond where we're here. There's going to be real things to do. Real things. We're not going to lose who we are when we're in heaven. That's pretty exciting for me. I don't know about y'all. But then we see in verses 15 through 17 that Jesus restores Peter. Why? Because he loved him. For no other reason. Because he loved him. It says in the first half of verse 15, After the breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. We see a picture of Peter here in this statement that we have not seen in the entire Bible. This is a Peter that is no longer impulsive. This is no longer Peter, who is one of those type D personalities that tells everybody off and and thinks he's the best person in the world for everything. We see a man that's humble. We see a man that's broken. We see a man that's hungry to be with Jesus again. And he asked him three times why this is because Jesus three times, Peter claimed to love Jesus more than the other disciples. Go back again and look at 15 for one minute. It says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Why did Jesus ask him that? I'll tell you why. 
Because if you go back to Matthew 26, 33, Peter's the one saying, I'm the disciple that loves you the most. He had a big, a big piece of humble pie here, didn't he? Jesus remembered what he said. And what was he doing to Peter? He was testing Peter to see if Peter had been humbled. If Peter would have said, well, of course, I'm still that guy. I love you more than these guys. He didn't say that, did he? He just said, yes. What was Jesus really asking? Jesus used a word for love that represents a word that you may have heard called agape. This is a love that is used to describe a self-sacrificial love. Much like when you do without, for yourself, the sacrifice to put the needs of others first. Whether it be a parent for a child, a husband for a wife, a brother for a sister, a teammate for another teammate, a worker for a co-worker. Where you just say, you know what, it's not about me getting this. I'm going to put my desire aside for somebody else. That's the kind of love that Jesus used. Will you sacrifice Do you love me enough to sacrifice yourself? And then Peter answers back with the word love that's called phileo, which means a brotherly kind of love. So if you put those two together, there's a a very sweet moment where you see the kind of love that they're talking about here is not the kind you get Valentine's Day cards for. This is the kind of, of love that at least most first responders know, especially Firefighters, there was a saying used in a movie a long time ago that said, you go, we go. Whether you're volunteer or paid, you know that at some moment, you may not like that guy beside you, but at some moment, you may have to give your life to save somebody else's. And I'm not saying that to, to, to puff my chest out. I'm just saying that that's life. Those that have served in the military know that kind of love. Those that have had to, had organ donors in their family, Know that kind of love. Those that have had to to make all kinds of sacrifice for those we love. That's the kind of love. What Peter is asking, or Jesus is asking Peter is, are you willing to have my back? Will you die for me? Do you love me enough to die for me? In light of Peter's humble answer, basically Jesus is saying you've answered correctly. In the second half of 15, he says, and feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. My is the key word. Jesus said in 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So what we see here is that even though Peter failed Jesus, Jesus never failed Peter. For every time that Peter publicly denied Jesus, Jesus restored him for it. Like I said, they may have had an offline conversation, but Jesus knew one of the last things that he had to do for Peter, because Peter would go on to be one of the rock-solid starters of the church, And if Peter were going to do these things, that he had to get that relationship right. So he goes to Peter, and for all three times that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus publicly restored him. Because finally, 
Peter was ready to die. He loved him so much he was ready to die for Jesus. And ultimately, that's what Peter did. History tells us that Peter was crucified, but he told them, the Romans, that he did not want to be crucified upright because of what he wasn't worthy to be crucified as Jesus was. So he was crucified upside down. Is that a man that loved Jesus? Absolutely. Why is that? Is this very reason. It's a hard statement, but it's a true statement. If you're not ready to die for Jesus, you're not ready to live for Him. Mm. That'll preach, won't it? It hits me just as hard as it hits you. But it's the truth. If we are not ready to die for Jesus, we're not ready to live for Him. And it may not be in a physical, literal sense of someone saying, do you love Jesus or not? And then them killing you. That, that happens. That happens overseas every day. But for us, it may be just that daily dying of ourselves and saying, this is what I want, but this is what Jesus wants. And if you're not ready to die for yourself, you're not ready to live for Him. And Jesus said, if you love me, he said, feed my sheep. What I want you to understand here, and this is just a, I guess, a preacher thing. This is not my church. And I got news for you. This is not your church. It's not even your pew. You may think it is. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's Jesus. I don't shepherd and pastor my flock. You are not Pastor James Strickland's flock of sheep. You are sheep of the king. I'm just a hired hand. (laughs) And I get the privilege of doing this. But you're not mine. You're not home and park Baptist churches. This is not your church. This is not my church. This is his church. Jesus says, feed my sheep. You Belong to Jesus. You are worthy of restoration. You are worth dying for. And He is worth dying for to serve and live for Him. As we uh, round the corner this morning. Verses 18 and 19. Jesus gives Peter a glimpse into where loving Him leads to. It says in verse 18, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. That's kind of a, a hard picture. He's, he's kind of saying that uh, you're young and you can do whatever you want to, but one day you're going to be in a nursing home and people are going to have to do things for you. But isn't that the life cycle? And in verse 19 it says, Jesus said this to let him know, By what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus said, follow me. In other words, the restorations are good. Well, we can preach that that he will restore us for every time we deny him. Praise the Lord. But why does he do it? This is the the caveat. This is the bar to get over this morning, my friends. If If he rescues you, if he restores you, what is it for? It is to feed his lambs, to feed his sheep, and to follow him. It's not so you can get a new t-shirt and wear up to people how much of a Christian you are. It's not to put a new bumper sticker on your car or to share an image on Facebook or Twitter or whatever those things are. He says, look, I've restored you. 
to follow me. This was a powerful and pointed challenge to Peter. As I said a moment ago, Peter would have his own cross to bear. So, look, I'm sorry. If somebody get, then there are people that try to give the impression that if you are a Christian, that you are going to have roses and, and, and zippity doo dah, zippity a, everything is great every day. It's going to be just the best life in the world. There is nothing that I see in Scripture that promises that. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and carry your cross. So, my friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are to become like Christ, that's going to involve some suffering. But the glory one day. We say, whoa, preacher, that's kind of down and deep today. We're supposed to be leaving here on a high note. We are living on a high note. At the end of the day, you get eternity. You get forgiveness of your faith. And, and all the, this world has got enough trouble of its own. The Bible says that God calls it to rain on the just and the unjust. Meaning that if tragedy happens, whether you are a Christian or not, you're going to go through this death, life, cancer, all these other things that are out in this world. There are Christians that are getting it. There are non-Christians that are getting it. There are people that are living through it. And there are people that are dying from it. And that is because we live in a world that has fallen. But for those that love Jesus Christ that follow Him, that give their life to them, it doesn't end here. It goes forever. And that is the aha moment. And that is the reason that Jesus restored Peter. And that is why even though you have failed Him, it doesn't knock you out because He wants to restore you so you can follow Him. Jesus loves you and others. He loves you and offers that same opportunity to restore his relationship with you. Jesus loved Peter and knew that his work on earth would not be complete until he restored Peter publicly. Jesus loves you enough to restore your relationship with him. Maybe today you're a little more humble and ready to take up Jesus on his offer. He has done great things for you and he has great things in store for you. Love Jesus enough. To follow him wherever he may lead. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. You have never failed us even when we have failed you, Lord. But Lord, it is in this moment that we realize that, Lord, there may be somebody here today that needs restoration. There may be somebody watching by way of Facebook that needs a new start. That's the whole reason Jesus died, Lord. And so, Lord, if there is one person here today that needs to know you as their Savior and Lord, we're going to make it real simple. If you want to know Jesus Christ today, just pray for him to come into your life. I will lead you through that prayer. Come forward. We will do it. We will make it, we will make it rock solid today. You can know you can be restored publicly in the presence of Jesus. What you come as doesn't matter. It's how you lead. So if you need Jesus today, if you need His forgiveness, if you would like to join this church or be baptized, or you just have a prayer need, you want to come forward. Now is the time for you to respond.